Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pastillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith in the new york city metropolitan area today we're going to be discussing joe resinello talk about going into the breach the wrath of god I, I, let me tell you something. I, I, when I hear that, I, I, I get goosebumps. It's like, I don't want God to be mad at me. But the book is a reprint. The Wrath of God, How to Read the Signs of the Times and Recognize the Evils of Our Age by Father Livio Fanzaga. Joe, how do you like that name? Dude, I love it. <laughs> you don't get more Italian than that. That's a reprint from Sophia Institute Press. And today the, to discuss the book is a great friend of the show, Kristen Van Newden. And most of you out there know Kristen, but having said that, Kristen Van Newden serves the as the author spokesperson at Sophia Institute Press, who she received her MA in history from the College of William and Mary and her BA in history and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studies the persecution of Catholics under communist regime. She's been featured on a wide range of media platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and the Catholic Faith Network. Uh, Father Livio Fanzaga is a Catholic priest and renowned author on spiritual warfare. He's written numerous books, um, including The Wrath of God, and he is the director of Radio Maria in Italy. Joe, this is going to be a great conversation. Kristen Van Uden, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hello again. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Joe, Let's start with the prayer, as always, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Let me just get this off my chest. Livio Fenzaga, dude. I had to say it. It's just fantastic. It's just such a great name. <laughs> like, 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 you know, it's like, you know, not, no offense, no offense to people with more plain names. Okay. I'm about to defend, I'm about to offend about 3 million guys out there. John Smith is <laughs> not the same as, as, as Livio Fanzaga. Okay? Oh, my There's Lord. There's a power to that name. Good Lord. That. So <laughs> it's a, it's a perfect <laughs> name to, to write about the wrath of God. <laughs> But Kristen, what were you saying? Right up there with Vincent Michelli and Franco Serafini, right? All of our uh, Italian love it. best names. Oh <laughs> Just by God. their names alone, you know you have to take them seriously when they're writing about these things. Yeah. Um so let's just, uh, Joe, we're going to yeah, we'll just jump into it. I mean, uh, Kristen, clearly the end of the world, this is an unmistakable focus of Christ, his teachings. I mean, it's all over the gospel. Um, yet, sadly, you don't hear this from the pulpit anymore. You simply don't. Um, 
why do you think that is? I mean, you do hear it in Protestant circles. They talk about the end of the world, but they take a different spin. They talk about the rapture and we don't believe in that, you know? So, I mean, why isn't this discussed? I mean, cause clearly one day it's all going to be over. Yes, I think, unfortunately, today, people have a misplaced fear of suffering and of these, quote unquote, scary topics that are going to happen and are inevitable. And really, it's it's not, I think it's, it's a false sense of mercy and a false sense of charity that seeks to ignore these difficult topics and put them on the back burner and just refuse to think about them until it's too late. I mean, just thinking on the four last things as has been the, the theme in so many of our discussions, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. These will come for everyone sooner or later, whether we're alive for the apocalypse or not. And by distracting yourself throughout your entire life, it's not going to change that fact. So this, unfortunately, in the, you know, really since the Second Vatican Council, there's been this, this over-focus on a a wrong and erroneous sense of mercy that is at the expense of true charity because true charity tells the truth and true charity warns people about <laughs> things that are realities, things that are facts. As as we've discussed with atheism, the, the laws of God are a reality and no matter how many times you try to distract yourself and pretend they don't exist, they do. And so I don't think it's beneficial to ignore the end of the world. It, it can be a daunting topic, especially as we... I mean, just by very fact of time moving ahead, we are approaching the end of the world, but it becomes less terrifying when you, number one, understand it, and number two, understand that it is part of God's plan, and that he told us about it, not to scare us. Of course, we should be afraid to sin, obviously, and afraid to go to hell, but he told us to to give us this revelation so that we understand his plan, and that this is not something that is that is bad it's even the wrath of god is not something that's bad because it comes from his justice and so it is up to us to understand god's perfect will even including these more difficult to accept parts of it rather than to try to create god in this false image of just a saccharine uh overly sweet type of um mercy we, we need to understand the true meaning of mercy and that's what reckoning with the apocalypse really helps us to do i i love father rutler's take on it when i uh watched father rutler from a, just a while ago and it never dawned on me this way that's why i listen to people and 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 learn from them father rutler said god loves us too much not to punish us yeah. you know what i mean it, 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 when you hear something as plain as plainly true as that okay you think in your mind okay um yeah that's right if you don't if, if i'm a father and I don't punish my son when he does something wrong or my daughter when they do something wrong. That's not an act of love. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's saying go do what you want. Mm -hmm. Go jump off a cliff. I'm not going to get mad at you. Go drive drunk. Go out and have sex. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not being a good father if I don't punish them. Mm -hmm. And God is not a, a good father if he, if he doesn't punish us to straighten our ways. I hate when people criticize God and his wrath. And I always say, you don't think humanity is deserving of the father's wrath? That somehow you, that's foreign to you when you look at the, what, the the disgusting things, the evil things that human beings have done in all of salvation history, right up to the present day, including the slaughter of a billion children in the womb since Roe versus Wade, which now, thank God, has been overturned. No, no, God's wrath is real, and it's deserved. That's my larger point. Your comment, Kristen. 
Yes, and it's clear even in the temporal sphere that obviously punishment for evil doing will occur after death and we can pray for sinners and hope that they convert and repent by death but those sins have to be paid for and they were paid for by jesus if only we would cooperate with his grace but if not then they have to be you know these people have made their choice and it's it's just one of those great mysteries how someone can choose to go to hell by refusing to accept this grace and so the the wrath of god in in the afterlife obviously is is a matter of his justice because those who are in hell cannot physical ability but even here in this earth we see all of the temporal of sin because the wages of sin are death so we've seen the the effect and the breakdown of the family for the, the epidemic of genocide of abortion and how that's normalized uh killing and normalized this playing god with life so that that's that mindset has extended to euthanasia and um even for things that you know aren't dead even dead is just someone can decide in, in certain countries in western europe that they're unhappy and like that that means they can end their life because it's their choice and and so we, we see the effects that this has even in the world because the you can't expect to commit these grave sins and have these crimes against God's law and then to just get away with it. And the confusing thing is that so often people who are great sinners and countries that, in, that you know, latch on to these sins such as abortion do quote unquote get away with it because they are given worldly honors and they can sin and then happily just skip along the next day, even sometimes show up at church and be hypocritical and, you mm -hmm. know, religiously receive the Eucharist after committing these grave sins. And because they're getting away with it in the world's eyes, that introduces this hypocrisy and this cognitive dissonance breaking it, yet their life and being hailed as this because they philanthropic here and there. So that uh, yeah, that, that ability to get away with it won't last forever. Even in this life, we can see that people who are really attached to sin only drive themselves into misery. And in our own lives, just the experience of being attached to various sins, you can see how it doesn't bring you that pleasure that you're looking for and that only God can bring that. So it, people learn this on their own, but we know, so so the point I'm making is that we can see God's justice signs are obvious even just by earthly standards, that sin does not bring about happiness. Absolutely. Chris Van Uden is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing uh, Father Livio Fonzaga's re a reprint of his book, The Wrath of God, How to Read the Signs of the Times and Recognize the Evils of Our Age. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Quick comment, though, Kristen. You mentioned nations. One only needs to look at Poland about 100 years ago. The abortion capital of Europe, most people don't know that, German uh, German aristocrats, women, British, Italian, French, they put a Okay, September 1st, that was the consequence of, of, of their actions all throughout the 20s and the 30s, okay? In other words, that, and this is Poland, and, and thank God they, they, they seem to have learned their lesson, okay? But they got, they got walloped both by the Nazis and the communists, okay? Um, because as you said, you think you could get away with it, okay? Uh, you think you could get away with it, but at some point, there's going to be a price to pay. Joe Resinello. 
Well, I, I just want to comment on things both of you said. I mean, um, clearly there are consequences to bad behavior on this earth, but God does everything out of love, meaning he wills, he will allow things to happen when we choose certain things that are bad. Why? Um because he wants us to get back into the fold. I mean, I always say this because I'm a father and I always say this to my kids, listen to me, listen to me. And I always think of the Blessed Mother at the, the Feast of the Wedding of Canis. The, 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 you know, these words are so important in scripture. Listen to him. We don't. We don't listen to our father in heaven. So then we do bad things. So God allows things to happen. But why? And this is what I'd like you to comment on both of you. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he wants us to change direction. And we're not listening to his words. So we're going to feel something just like the prodigal son would happen. He was eating the food of the pigs. Why? Because he rejected his father's love. Well, that's what happens. Um, you know, if we listen, that's why Christ is the answer for to everything. If we just listen to him, but we don't. So let's talk about why God's wrath is just because of that, because it is. It's to gear us to him when we're not listening to his words. Kristen, please. Well, obviously we know that God only allows evils in our lives in order to bring about a greater good because he has stopped so many evils from occurring to us that we won't ever even know about until after we've died that would maybe have destroyed our, our soul and our ability to get to heaven. But every uh, evil that is sent our way is also an opportunity to react to it in a way where we can increase our unity and devotion to God. And this is you know very difficult to accept. And it's the whole answer to why bad things happen to good people. And that, that's the, the question that often makes atheists out of people or makes causes people to, to abandon God is lacking the understanding of how any evil can be used to bring about good and how even any smaller good can be used and be sacrificed to bring about a greater good. And I think of one example from the life of St. Gemma Golgani, actually, Sophia just published her diary. And it's really interesting because they're even in a, the lives of the saints who are at such a high degree and level of sanctity that it's almost unrelatable for us sometimes and impossible to understand. She experienced in her life a situation where God removed a good, an objective good, in order to bring about a greater good. And so she could have considered this to have been an evil at the time. And the story goes that she used to go on almsgiving walks. She would take whatever scraps she had from her family's table at home, whatever change she could get from her parents, and go out into the town and distribute it to the poor. And this is an objective good thing, right? It's a corporal work of mercy. She was helping the poor. Nothing wrong with what she was doing. However, while she was walking, she would meet people. She would get engaged in all these worldly conversations. She would get distracted. She would spend all this time outside rather than devoting that to her prayer life. And so her spiritual director forbid her from continuing on these walks. And as she says in her own words, through this, Jesus worked a new conversion in me. The result was that I stopped caring about clothes and all those other things. So we can see that this, this small temptation to vanity that isn't necessarily a sin in and of itself was, was proving to be an obstacle to the great degree of holiness she was called. And so God removed that in her life. And at the time, she was very disappointed and sad and couldn't understand why something so good would be disallowed to her. But later on, she realized that that was an occasion for her to 
abandon her vocation or to become more worldly. And, and she understood it after the fact. So how many more times with the, the great tragedies in our lives will we understand their effects after the fact, even if we have to wait until after death to find that out, as long as we're remaining faithful to God? Thank you for that. Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Let me ask you a question. Uh, fa uh, Father Fonzaga writes about in the book, prophetic visions, private revelations, for, which we have to be careful about. I think as Catholics, we can't just, when somebody says, I saw Jesus, your your immediate impulse needs to be skepticism, mm -hmm. okay? Because the church's position is usually a skeptical one at first until there's an investigation and the church determines whether or not a particular vision, private revelation is in fact worthy of belief, okay? That you can, you could go ahead. Like, go ahead, like basically like when you see Jesus's image in the cream, in the coffee, at the diner. Right, right. In, in Carney. Or, or, or like, I, or like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, in Carney, New Jersey. I saw, I saw Jesus in Carney, New Jersey in, in, in my coffee. In, I saw uh, the a piece of toast, toast came out right. of the diner and it was shaped like Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I, you know, we shouldn't laugh, but but some of it is like you're looking for Jesus in the wrong place if you're looking for him in a cup of coffee, man. Um, but um, but prophetic visions and private revelations are are valid when the church says they are Christian Van Union. So uh, what does uh, Father Fonzaga say about, um, you know, about those, uh, you know, that have to do with the end times and which ones fall, let's say, under correct doctrine and those that do not? So a good rule of thumb when evaluating private revelations, and obviously only, you know, even take a look at ones that have been approved by the church, is whether or not they contradict big R revelation. So public revelation is everything that the church has taught publicly that is revealed to us through scripture and through tradition and through the magisterium that is not dependent on private revelation. And then any small revelations must, of course, can supplement this, but only point to the truth that is taught in capital R revelation. Otherwise, that is a good sign that they are not from God and probably from the devil, because we know that demons can use this realm of visions to enact false and misleading uh, teachings to lead people astray. So in another recent Sophia book called Visions and Revelations, actually, it was an analysis of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross's attitude towards revelations. And St. John of the Cross goes so far as to tell any of his spiritual directees who believe that they're receiving revelations to reject them utterly. And if it's truly from God, he will make sure to continue to send them and to give you that trust that you need um, in order to assent to these visions. And it was interesting that within the life of St. Teresa of Avila, and also within the life of St. Gemma, the visions that they had, they subjected to the obedience of their spiritual director. And so the role of the spiritual director here is very important to obviously direct them and, and to give them um, that those boundaries within to work so that they, they know they're not being led astray. Um, and so when it comes to the end times, this is, this is the the tack that Father Livio takes is yes, these these visions can supplement our understanding of the end times. They can give us interesting insight, but ultimately we have everything we need to know from the public revelation of the church in order to act as our roadmap for these times. Um, a couple of, uh, it's just interesting, a cer certain revelations that are quite modern are Our Lady of Lasselet and Our Lady of Fatima. Of course, Our Lady of La Salette tells us that Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. Uh, pretty clear. <laughs> and then, That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously Our Lady of Fatima talks about the souls falling into hell 
like snowflakes and uh, additional apocalyptic visions. So in, in recent times, these apocalyptic private revelations have been ramping up, but these are all consistent with what we know from the church's teaching before that. And of course, these have been approved by the church. Um, another interesting point is that this book by Father Fonzaga does not really deal with these private revelations in depth, but rather he studies two case studies of literary studies of the Antichrist. So he takes two fiction books, uh, one Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson, who is an Anglican convert to Catholicism and Catholic priest, and then The Antichrist by Vladimir Soloviev, who's a little bit more of a slippery character. He was Orthodox, he was involved in the occult at one point, and then supposedly converted to Catholicism at the end of his life. But he uses these literary allegories to drive home truths and warnings about the Antichrist that are independent from the sort of nitty gritty information that we get from prophecies and from church tradition. So he he places that warning at the beginning of his book that this is even these these literary treatments are even one step further removed even from private revelation and then obviously public revelation. Absolutely. Well, Chris, let's stay on. Um, we were, Joe brought up the four last things. You talk about the four last things. Let's stay on hell for a second. Why is that? So, I mean, so hell is obviously scary. It's final. It's eternal. Okay. And, and really, I mean, I wish I could say nobody wants to go there, but nowadays, I mean, we, you see people in the public squares, uh, one, a good priest friend of ours says he, not only does he know people who say they're going to hell, they say they're looking forward to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, just on a base level. Okay. What, why should we be afraid of hell? Why is this something that we need to be guarding? And people say, well, hell it's fire. It's this and that. I look at it this way. I'm going to throw it over to you and Joe Racinello. If, if there's no fire in hell, there's no brimstone in hell, okay? There are two things that I know are in hell that make me not want to go there. One is eternal regret over the separation, complete and utter separation from God. And the other is that the devil is going to remind me for all eternity that I rejected God. That's hell. Forget the fire. Forget about all that. And even though that probably is real, okay? But was, that to me is the most pain. Those two things are the most painful things. What say you guys? Christian, I'll throw it to you first. Yes, and this has helped me in my meditations on hell too, is that to conceive of the physical pain unless you are really putting your hand on the stove sometimes to to remind yourself, which you should not do. But um but it's 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 difficult for the human mind to to really conceive of that physical pain, but it is not really for us to conceive of the emotional pain. And like you, I agree that this emotional and spiritual torment will is, is scarier and will be worse even than the physical pains there and this is what accounts of of apparitions of and, um also are a testament to is that the regret is the worst pain and the absence of god is the worst pain and so when you think of it even just on natural terms the greatest joy that you felt in life and the happiness the most beautiful church union and friendship or whatever that you felt is not cannot even compare to what's in heaven and so too the greatest heartbreak the greatest misery self-hatred all of that comes from the devil and will be magnified a thousandfold in hell and it's forever so when you give yourself that uh framework of thinking of just what you've experienced in life already and then taking that to its conclusion and saying, and just meditate on how, did you like that feeling? No, do you want to feel like that forever? 
no. <laughs> and um, just because it is hard to to conceive of eternity. And so by by bringing it back to these experiences that you've had and then understanding that hell is so much worse than what we can imagine, greater than what you can imagine has been an, an effective exercise for me, at least. Yeah. Joe Resinello. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Kristen, but what I think like people hear when when they hear what you just said is that doesn't exist. See, people don't believe in hell. They mm -hmm. don't. They simply don't. And I think that's the effect of Protestantism in America. I call it sometimes Americanism. Everyone's going to heaven. There is no hell. I'm a good guy based on my own definition of what a good guy is. So I'm going to heaven. What you just said doesn't apply. That's how people view it. They simply do. Because if you knew that there was a hell and what hell was, which is a teaching, a bedrock teaching of the Catholic Church. It's a bedrock teaching of the church. It always has been. It's just not taught the way it should is clearly you would not want to go there but people don't think in those terms they simply don't and i think that's caused a lot of harm to people um let's be honest cause and effect if i do x i married i divorce my wife i get remarried i die in that state of mortal sin i am going to hell <laughs> let's just be clear like, 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 this is not said in those terms. Only Italians say it like that. That's why we're talking about Fonzaga. That's why we're talking about Paul Olivio Fonzaga, okay? But that's the truth. I mean, like, this is uh, not the truth about Italians, but just the truth in general. Like, we have to be clear. This is a teaching of the church. Um, talk about that effect of Protestantism, because I'll be honest with you. I agreed with everything you said. But I can guarantee you people are on the radio. They're driving in their car somewhere in Connecticut. They heard what you said, and they said, ah, oh, those three people, they're crazy. There's no th such thing as hell. No, there is. <laughs> and that's how people grew. There is, there is. There is. And the guy who rose from the dead is the one who talked more about it than anybody else. Kristen Van Uden, your comments. Yes, sometimes people need to be scared to be shaken out of their complacency because <laughs> you don't want to be surprised at the moment of your death that is not the time to find out the truth about this and joe as you said this is not optional this is a bedrock teaching of the church that has unfortunately been obscured by errors so yes protestantism is one of these these errors that has taught uh, a false doctrine regarding I mean, many false doc doctrines regarding hell regarding salvation and the end times especially but also modernism. So this error that we hear even the likes of Bishop Barron saying, dare we hope all men are saved, is just false mercy, because that's not true. We're told all it takes is one mortal sin. Doesn't matter if you lived a perfectly good life. I was just reading St. Alphonsus Liguori, whose meditations on hell I would highly recommend to really scare yourself awake to stop sinning and to pursue virtue because he minces no words with hell. And he talks about a woman who was regarded as a saint in her parish and she consented to one impure thought right before her death and she died and she went to hell and that's all it takes it's not a balancing it's not like the ancient egyptian conception of <laughs> your judgment where all the good you've done is placed next to all the bad you've done and they they outweigh mm -hmm. it no if you've been a, a good person your whole life and still commit one unrepented mortal sin you still go to hell and that that's just how it I is. said and I said that to a practicing Catholic one time. I didn't use that specific example from St. Alphonsus, but I said that to a practicing Catholic. I said, you know, the, we are not a works-based religion, yeah. okay? 
We're not that, that, you know, and, and if you, if you reject God, yes, you could, you could go your whole life doing God's will. But if at the end of your life, you flat out reject God, nothing you did matters. Remember the mortal sin is the rejection of God himself. How are you saved? If through that action, um, you, 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 you shown a rejection of, of God and he said, and a, a good, good guy. I, I really like him. And he's a practicing Catholic. Goes, yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah. You know, but, that's what the church teaches. We have to take a break. Uh, Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, we're way in the breach. Kristen, real quick, the title, the author, and where folks could buy the book. This one is called The Wrath of God, and it's by Father Livio Fanzaga at SophiaInstitute.com. Thank you very much. Remember, everybody out there listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe, support our Catholic publishers. In fact, go on SophiaInstitute.com. Because there's a lot of books there, many of which Joe and I have discussed with the authors themselves, many of which we've discussed with Kristen, who is a spokesperson for Sophia Institute Press. Uh, you want to gain knowledge of what the church teaches on a whole wide variety of areas, go to Sophia Institute, do a little browsing. You're not going to regret it. Anyway, you're with us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Um, and uh, we're going to continue the conversation, so stick around. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello. We're way, way, way in the breach with Kristen Van Uden from Sophia Institute Press. We're discussing a reprint of uh, Father Livio Fonzaga's book, The Wrath of God, How to Read the Signs of the Times and Recognize the Evils of Our Age. Chris, I want to make one comment. I think, um, on the one hand, I agree with you. I think, uh, and and I do think as lay people and someone who does not have the, the the depth of knowledge that bishop Barron has okay i say this with humility he's wrong mm -hmm. and the reason why i say he's wrong on this particular topic is that it, it, it it's very it's very simple he says dare we hope that that there or, or dare we have a a hope that all men are saved and i say i can have a hope but it ain't reasonable mm -hmm. and that's based on scripture jesus's own words and that's based on tradition and magisterial teaching of the church it's based on my reason. I don't have a reasonable hope that all men are saved. No, I don't have a reasonable hope that Stalin's in heaven. I don't. I don't have a reasonable hope that Hitler's in heaven. And people say, well, those are just the big ones. Yeah, but I don't have the reasonable hope that an unrepentant woman who's had seven abortions, I don't have a reasonable hope that she's in heaven. I pray that she would be in heaven, okay? But that's not the same thing. I do not have a reasonable hope. And it's based on everything I just said. I just wanted to throw that. And I've always said, I said it to you before, Kristen, on the show. I've said this a million times. I learned and have learned a tremendous amount from Bishop Barron. I have in my life, in my journey. Okay. He's just wrong on this one. Well, That's I, I, I don't want to get off topic, but we could have a hope for someone. My beef with Barron was when he said that with Christ, with uh Ben Shapiro, that's the preferred way. No, that's the only way. Only way. Yeah. That, like, like I have a hope that everyone is in heaven because you don't know the mind and heart of people. They could repent. At the last, like if you read Faustina's diary, she says that at the moment of death, Christ reaches a hand three times to every person dying. That's his mercy. Um, 
So we don't know. We could have a hope. The word reasonable, I don't want to get into like lawyering and, and you know, get into wordsmithing. Um, but Christ is the only way. Um, and I just want to add a little color to what we were talking about on the other side of the break. When we talk about mortal sin, what is mortal sin? Just to give some color to it in case people don't know. Mortal sin is sin that is grave in nature. You know it's grave in nature and you do it anyway. So there are a lot of people that are in mortal sin by objective definitions, meaning you don't go to church on Sunday. That's a mortal sin, objectively speaking, because God says you have to honor the Sabbath, and part of that is going to church. However, they don't know it to be. How God handles that, and I'm not a moral theologian, I don't know, but I think that's important to, to know. I mean, God is going to judge people differently. Those who've been given much, much is expected. If you're a bishop, he's going to judge you differently than, say, someone who has been ill-formed as a Catholic, much differently. So, again, I, I think we have to throw that distinction out. Well, no, I'm, I'm, Joe, I'm, I'm glad you did, and it's important. But let's let's keep going with the conversation. We're discussing the wrath of God with Kristen Van Unen from Sophia Institute Press, and the book is The Wrath of God, written by Father Livio Fonzaga. It's a reprint, how to read the signs of the times and recognize the evils of our age. So Kristen, let me ask you this. So I, I, I want to know what your response would be. Mm -hmm. um, how is – because because obviously there's a teaching on – God, you mentioned God's justice, okay? Mm -hmm. um, that's where his wrath is, uh, comes from, is the, is the fact that he is a just God, but he is also a merciful God. Talk about that for our audience at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, because on the one hand, I think sometimes there's an overemphasis on God's justice, and I think nowadays, you talked about watered-down Christianity, there's an overemphasis on his mercy. They go together. We'd love your comments on that. That's right. People often think of God's justice and mercy as two attributes of his that are opposed, but that's not possible because God can't contradict himself. So we have to understand these two attributes as working together and as complementary. And so his his justice is is really the the rightful payment for sin. And when you think of the horror and the magnitude of sin and what sin really is, and how each each of us deserves hell of our own accord, but that Jesus's grace extends to us to pull us up from that. That is where mercy comes in, is that God decided to pay for the justice himself. And he wants to lead you to heaven and he will forgive anything as long as you cooperate with him and don't try to do it yourself. And that's the central error people keep falling into is trying to do it themselves without Jesus's grace and without the hard work he asks of you. They'll um, today, the big problems are overindulgence in sin and giving that false mercy to yourself and saying, oh, I can just, I'll get away with it. That's no big deal until the point where where you're just so mired in sin that grace can't get through to you. And so mercy is is difficult too. Mercy is a gift to us, but mercy requires us to conform to the will of God. It's not just a free pass. It means you need to accept that grace and accept that mercy and cooperate with it. And in order for it to be a gift, the gift has to be well received. And that's the mistake I think people make is equating mercy with license and indulgence in sin. And Jesus ate with the sinners and tax collectors, but he didn't tell them keep sinning. No, he told them to repent and to stop sinning. 
And that's the type of mercy he extends to us. And so when someone, I think, I think many people, unfortunately, commit the sin of presumption, even in confession, by not having that firm purpose of amendment and going right back out and sinning and then just kind of going to confession like clockwork every week without amending their lives. That's not the correct application or understanding of mercy. The, the right understanding of mercy is that, wow, this is an unearned gift that Jesus is giving to me. And now it's my job to get in line and to follow the precepts he's set for me and throw myself at his mercy, but to know that it requires my cooperation too. I want to make, I want to make one comment, Christian Van Uden, and I want to throw it over to Joe. We mentioned earlier about you could live your whole life as a, as a, as a, as a, a holy person. All right. A moral person cooperating with God's will and cooperating with his grace. Okay. And lose your salvation at the end. Okay. People would say that seems pretty harsh. Well, let's talk about the flip side. You could live a, a disastrous life, a disastrously sinful life. Okay. Um, and repent at the end of your life. Simply say, I'm sorry on your deathbed. Okay. I've told the story on the show before. Um, from everything I've read, the, the Jewish gangster. Dutch Schultz, okay, um, on his deathbed, repented, called for an old Irish priest, converted, repented. Church teaches he's saved, okay? The church teaches he could, if the if the contrition was authentic and, and from his heart and the conversion was authentic, Dutch Schultz is in heaven. You know, so, so as many people that don't want to hear that you could lose your salvation, people are awfully judgmental. A person could live their whole life in a very sin, a very sinful life, but the mercy of God okay, is that great, that one act of repentance, and you're saved. Comment on that real quick, Kristen, then we'll hand it over to Joe. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy, because it's it's kind of a denial of, of God's grace to say that this is an amalgamation of, that your salvation is based on an amalgamation of everything you've done in your life. If you have a deathbed conversion, they just reject that. It's It's the same exact argument as someone who's lived a good life, and yet at the end rejects Jesus. So that that is ex exactly a, a great way to frame the way God's mercy works and the way cooperation is so important as well. Thank I, you for I just that, also Kristen. want to comment on it because I thought about this, like if God willing, we are fortunate enough to get into heaven um, and you see somebody there who you say, how is this person in there? We have to just know that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. That's how I think of it. I think yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Joe. Like yeah, he's, he's perfect. perfectly just and perfectly merciful. So we should never question how he like basically distributes justice and or gives out mercy. We have to worry about how we do it. Like, 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 because I think of what you were saying, Kristen, I go to confession, but am I merciful to people? I think of the story in the gospel about the guy who had a big debt and then the guy who has a little debt and the guy who has a little debt, you know, the man who's forgiven the big one says, give me my money back. You know what I mean? That's how we act. So like, I think I have to worry about me, but I just wanted to throw that out there because I trust God. And I think of how's this person can get to heaven? Well, he may get there and I may not. So God willing, that doesn't happen. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about the end of the world, Kristen, because Father uh, in this book basically tries to acquaint people with teachings of the church in the Bible that we could evaluate the various speculations because the, the end of the world has been coming since Christ 
died on the cross. They thought he was coming like within a couple of weeks. Well, it's 2000 years later and here we are. Um, I'm talking in the basement in New Jersey. So, uh, <laughs> and we're still here. So, I mean, talk about what father does in this book with regard to how people should evaluate those speculations. So in the introduction, he gives us a pretty good overview and primer of teaching on the end of the world, takes us through the book of Revelation and um, basically sets the record straight and, you know, really dispels some of these Protestant errors, for example. For more in-depth study on the church's teaching, I would definitely recommend The Antichrist by Father Michelli, which I think we've talked about here. Mm -hmm. um, because, as I said, Father Fonzaga's work is more of a literary analysis. And then he goes on to explain the character of the Antichrist and how we're told in scripture that even some of the elect will be deceived by this man, that he will be one individual person. So just like Father Michele tells us, it's not going to be merely a movement or an ideology. He'll have these as his forerunners, but he will be one particular person. And Father Fonzaga's book really drives home the point that was in Father Michele's book as well of the Antichrist as this very popular, charismatic, philanthropist type of figure who creates a worldly religion, really a cult of man that resembles the truth because he's so giving and generous and helps the poor. And as we've discussed before, one of the main hallmarks of the Antichrist will be his tolerance and his he's inoffensive to everyone. And this is very similar to the license and indulgence about sin so too is the Antichrist going to be very tolerant toward error. And we know this is not how the church works, that excommunications and the definitions of heresy have existed to protect the truth and to protect the faithful. The Antichrist won't have any of that. So nobody will be mad. Nobody will be triggered by him because they can stick in their errors until the day they die. They can hold on to their sins until they die. As long as they're being a good person out in the world, they'll be able to get on board with the Antichrist's message. And this is really, to take it a step further, a Freemasonic principle of having to believe in a God, but all religions, you know, and this false ecumenism can, can support that. And uh, the Gnostic idea that there is a primordial truth that all religions just happen to grab certain parts of and are given in their revelation, but none of them is the full truth. So that is going to be the doctrine of the Antichrist. And Father Fonzaga's book illustrates that very well. And I think it's a very good connection to the conversation we've been having about sin is that tolerance of error and tolerance of sin are hallmarks of the antichrist and a world that is founded as today's contemporary world is on the tolerance of sin and on the widespread tolerance of error is one that is really priming the way and paving the way for the antichrist i, I want to talk about that a little bit because i think that is what we see with the spirit of vatican ii not the documents of vatican ii and and i i want your comments on this. This is my thinking because I see this and it's repeated. My wife always throws me like something in the news. This was the newest one. Joe, there was some group doing yoga at mass, you know, like something insane like that. And I'm just like, in my view, people, the spirit of Vatican II, people who embrace this idea of get people in on their terms and then little by little, the church and the truth will seep in. I don't believe in that. I will publicly state this right now. That does not work. We talk to a lot of people too, smart people, real smart people, Father Mary, Ralph Martin. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for 50 years, but this is embraced. 
in the American Catholic Church, the spirit of Vatican II, get them in on their terms. Now, that priest may be sincere. What I would say to you, Father, you're sincerely wrong in your approach. I'm not judging your heart, but you're wrong. Christ did not do that. He ate with sinners, but he also told them not to sin, as you said, Kristen. Does that relate to what you see with the, the spirit of the world that has entered the church? Yes, absolutely. It's it's no use lying to people about the truth just to get them in the door. And that's not how conversion works by piecemeal, by saying, we'll hold off on this offensive belief until later. And so they end up knowing a parody of Christ rather than Christ himself. And as uh, Father Hubert Van Zeller, who's another author I've been reading um, recently, has told us, it's better to not know Christ at all than to know a parody of him. And so to water down doctrine in order, th this false sense of trying to use that as a means of conversion is no good. And we, we've seen missionaries have walked the fine line throughout the church's history, especially the very good Jesuit missionaries from the 17th century, for example, they, they spoke to the people in language they would understand and used truths that may have existed in their culture to bring them to the truth, but they never tolerated the errors. They never let them keep parts of their false religion as they came into the church. No, a conversion is a full repudiation of your error and an entrance into the full truth. And Unfortunately, even some of the documents uh, of the council uh, allow this, like Nostra Aetate, for example, um, apologizes for the crusade and uh, for the crusades even. And one of the errors that's arisen from that is an idea of separate salvation for the Jews and that the old covenant is still in effect and has not been abrogated. The old covenant promises a savior. So if he is yet to come, then he's still coming. And that by definition is anti-Christ. And so this, this, you can see how this initial desire to seek to be inoffensive to other religions deteriorates into denying Christ very right. quickly. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at the point now where even if you say to somebody, I'm praying for you, they, seem, they take that as a judgmental statement. What do you mean you're praying for me? <laughs> like like that type of, like this is what we've gotten to people catholic church up until about 50 years ago okay um and i'm, I'm i i don't want to sound too harsh but was unmistakable okay and growing up in other words joe and i are a little older than you Kristen van uden joining us at the front line with joe and joe the catholic church the catholic identity the, the what you saw with your own eyes what you heard with your ears was unmistakable and there's somebody online all right. I forgot who it was um, that that does basically uh, puts together compilations of videos of what's going on in some of our churches. It's atrocious. Those, you know, you don't baptize, you don't bless people at the end of mass with a guitar in your hand. You don't have dancers on the altar. Jesus is still there in the tabernacle. Okay, it's horrible. And then when you open your mouth, you're being so judgmental. Anyway, that's my two cents. Um, I, I have a question. Um, is now is, you mentioned earlier about the Antichrist. What's what now? Is that considered, uh, according to Father Fonzaga, the supreme religious deception? Is that what you were referring to, or is that something different that's going to basically lead countless Catholics? to abandon the faith. Talk about that a little bit, Kristen. Nope, that's spot on. That's what he diagnoses as the supreme religious deception is this neo-religion, this new world religion, if you will, of ecumenism. And all religions have truth. And if we just all get along and all our friends, then all hold hands in a circle and focus on this world and focus on philanthropy 
Uh, Jesus said that, didn't he? Did Jesus? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus didn't say anything like <laughs> no, that. Go that's ahead, Kristen. I hear from you off. <laughs> uh, certain public figures today, but definitely not from Jesus. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but the sword, because true unity can only exist in Jesus and in, in the doctrine he teaches, which is difficult. And that is a line that um, Father Robert Hugh Benson uses quite a lot in his book because um, called Lord of the World, because in his book, the Antichrist says, I come not to bring the sword, but peace. And so he subverts Jesus's words. And you see that he, he, he places this focus on peace at all costs, peace without truth, which cannot exist because peace can only exist within truth and unity can only exist within truth. And again, this is a misconception people have about hell, which is reflected in the doctrine of the Antichrist. They believe that hell you know, Elon Musk says, oh, the great majority of people are in hell. I'm going to be there. It's going to be one big party. No, you'll hate everyone around you. No fraternity or unity exists in hell because it's not possible without God to have fraternity or unity. And also Dante didn't do us a great service when he wrote Paolo and Francesca in the Inferno as lovers who were damned together because she had been married already. And he depicts them as clinging together and just orbiting hell forever and while it's they're miserable there he still shows them as being together and oh at least they're together no that's not how it would be sadly if they're in hell together they're clawing each other's eyes out because they are the cause of each other's damnation it sounds so, like when i worked at morgan stanley Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible um so yeah the, to, this is just the, the false conceptions people have that will be enthroned in this religion of the antichrist are also these these false ideas that they have about hell is the point i'm trying to make here is um so ba basically I, I i know i'm not the first one to say it like this and i forgot where i heard it hell is the eternal negation mm. everything everything that is of god including in scripture as we know a drop of water mm -hmm. in other words that that the, that the rich man wanted uh abraham to send lazarus to dip his toe in the water and he says no he can't do that no. even the even the smallest drop of water comes from god that's why you can't have it in hell i say all the time if you reject god you say well why would a good god send me to hell you rejected that good god mm -hmm. but you don't get his gifts if you've rejected him and yes just a simple drop of water okay is a gift from god a simple little morsel of food is a gift from god you reject him you reject his gifts and hell is the place where everything is the opposite, okay? Everything is the negation, okay? Everything you could have had, okay, with God, okay, all the ways he shows us his love, you don't get. Like you said, it's all, there's, remember St. Paul says, um, faith, hope, charity, but in the end, love, you know, charity meaning love, of course, faith, hope, and love. And at the end, though, faith goes away, hope goes away, and that's all that's left is love. Heaven is love because God is love. Well, hell has to be nothing but hate. It's mm -hmm. the negation of love, okay? So I'm glad you mentioned that, the two lovers together for eternity in hell. No, they're scratching each other's eyes out. Like you said, they hate each other because they're, they're the source of, of their own condemnation. Anyway, this is my rant. Joe you know, Rizzinello, as you were saying that, I was thinking of like no no drop of water. I was thinking the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. No soup for you. No no water <laughs> no for, soup you. for you. <laughs> and Abraham <laughs> says that to the rich man. He says, I can't. I can't. No There's, a chasm. There's a chasm between you and me, and, and nobody's ever going to cross it. Um, and I always uh, it always struck me that, yes, the rich man does not even get a drop of water. He had an opportunity, okay, to feed Lazarus, okay, but he, he rejected it. He rejected Lazarus. He rejected being merciful, okay? He rejected God. He's in hell. 
Joe, where do you want to go? We have a few minutes I, left. I want to talk about those who are most vulnerable, but I'll be honest, that that reading, to be honest with you, for me, for me personally, really affected me. I don't think we take God's words literally. We should. God says things in the scripture very clearly, and that's one of them. And we don't listen to him. We should. <laughs> and that's all I want to say. But also with regard to vulnerability, Father uh, in the book talks about those who are most vulnerable, who will be seduced by the Antichrist. Who's he talking about, Kristen? The most vulnerable. Oh, I I can't remember exactly who he's talking about. Do you know, do you know what page this one's on? No, I don't. But I'll tell you what. I, I, okay. I don't know specifically, but I'll tell you who what I think on it. Uh -huh. Those who don't pray. You see, I do, but this is what I'm, this is, you know, I don't know, I don't recall in the book, I know he addressed it. Those who don't pray and those who don't live a sacramental life. I think people in our age, and, and you, you know, let you comment on this when I'm done ranting, but this is my opinion. Um, they equate understanding with raw analytical intelligence. That's not the case. If you are, you could be the simplest of person. If you live a sacramental life, meaning you go to confession, you receive the Eucharist in a state of grace, and you pray, you have a prayer life. Doesn't have to be the prayer life of a monk because you're in the world, but you pray. You will not be vulnerable to the seductions of the Antichrist or the lies of the world. You will see them clearly. But if you do not, I don't care if you went to MIT, I don't care if you have nine patents to your name, I don't care if you won the Nobel Prize, I don't care. You will be blind. What are your thoughts? You think Vivo would uh, agree with me on that one or no? <laughs> so Father Fonzaga says that those who allow themselves to be seduced will be condemned. So there is, and this gets back to our earlier points about sin, there is such a thing as culpable ignorance. So many people can be argued to be in invincible ignorance where they simply don't know, but that can only take you so far. And if you are a catechized Catholic who's been told the reality of sin and who's been warned about what the Antichrist will be like and what his doctrine will teach, then you don't really have an excuse. And as you said, to whom much is given, much will be expected. The grace that God gives us is something we have to act with or else it will condemn us because a grace that's spurned and that's given back to God is a mark against us that that uh, it sets us backwards. And this is why the mark of baptism can become, is the means of, uh, you know, a necessary but not sufficient condition for salvation. But also if you go to hell, the mark of baptism is going to be more painful there because you should have known better. You have this great gift of God's grace and being a member of the church through baptism and you still turned away from it. And so too, all the gifts that God gave you will condemn you in hell in that way. And um, like, uh, yes, I forget who said no one goes to hell alone and that the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and probably in Italian, there. Kristen, it's probably in Italian. Exactly. <laughs> um, but this is why it, it's so important to remain vigilant about knowing the faith because your ignorance can only take you so far. And if it's really that you are lying to yourself and making excuses rather than true ignorance and you it's an act of the will to be ignorant, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Joe, do we have a lot of time? I just want to explore one thought with her. We only we, we have like maybe a couple minutes. OK, it. I just want to say this because the church says we're saved through the church. 
and baptism. That's in the catechism. Next line, it says, through no fault of your own. And this kind of goes along what you're saying. What I would say, if I was the prosecutor of you going to hell, I'm the, the lawyer, I would say, were you actively searching for the truth? If you claimed to me, uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. So I'm going to just say that. That's what I would do. I would say, well, Kristen, you say that you're ignorant that the church saves you as well as baptism. Were you actively searching for the truth in life? I saw you go to the gym three hours a day. I saw you work 20 hours, you know, blah, blah, blah. I saw you do this. I saw you do this. I saw you do this. It's saying to me that that wasn't your priority. We have to make our priority, a search for the truth. And if we do that, we'll always find the Catholic Church in Jesus Christ. Follow, uh, quick comment, Christian, and then let everybody know the title, the author, and where they can buy the book. Yeah, going off that, another Italian saint, I can't remember, says that the only thing we should be rightly obsessed with is our salvation. So there's no such thing as spending too much time investigating this and doing good works and praying and, and anything that will get us to that point. And so that is a, a wonderful sales pitch for buying good Catholic books and <laughs> educating yourself on these topics. I found this one pretty easy to read compared to other books about the apocalypse because it approaches it through this, this literary style. So it's a little bit of a, an easier read, more relaxing. Um, it's called The Wrath of God by Father Livio Fonzaga. He examines two turn of the 20th century uh, very prophetic fiction books about the end of the world and as always available at sophiainstitute.com Kristen Van Uden thank you as always for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe you're a great friend of the show you give us a lot of good information so thanks as always I'm sure we're going to be talking to you again very soon my pleasure thank you guys you're welcome. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, and share it with your friends. You'll have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media show. Uh, we go live Monday nights primarily on youtube at the frontline tv the frontline tv like subscribe share do all that fun stuff and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere we'll talk to you soon <laughs>